rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity this is Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, and I'm joined today by Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, Deacon of the Diocese of Austin. Both of us involved in restorative justice ministry, Deacon Ronnie actively with the incarcerated and the corrections officers, and myself now as chaplain to Cedar Break Retreat Center. We wanted to begin a series of conversations in honor of the Eucharistic revival that the Catholic Church in the United States, all its dioceses, has now entered into, and to bring attention and share the glory of God in the Eucharist as we have experienced the Eucharist in the prison units, among the incarcerated, among the corrections officers. And today we wanted to begin this conversation by focusing on those that are known as inmates in the general population of the incarcerated. And what that means is if you're in the general population of a prison unit, you live in a particular type of residential setting, you have a certain set of liberties that are available to you that are not available to those who do not live in the general population. You go to your meals in common. You have a job that you can go to if you wish. Uh, you have opportunities for education. And most importantly of all, you have the opportunity to worship in community. And that brings us to our topic today. Our incarcerated women and men, this is particularly in uh, Gatesville, Texas, where Deacon Ronnie is the pastoral coordinator, um, that they come together as a, as a worshiping assembly, as we all do, who are not in the incarcerated state, to celebrate the beautiful presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. So, Deacon Ronnie, I just kind of wanted to start our dialogue today uh, on the worshiping assembly itself, the celebration of Holy Mass. And of course, you and me have celebrated many of those together over the course of the years that I served in, in the prisons, and you continue to serve there uh, with our incarcerated and with the corrections staff as well. And just in general, you know, the the celebration of the Mass and, and to help our our listeners who are on the outside to uh, have a sense of what's the same as what we experience on the outside and what's unique to the prison setting, just like any parish that you go to, whether it's a rural parish or a city parish or uh, if it's military service or whatever it is, every Eucharistic assembly has its own characteristic. Uh, my goodness, you can even say uh, mass time to mass time on a given weekend in and outside the prison parish that they're all going to have their own unique uh, influences based on music and regular attendees and the priest that celebrates it and so forth. But uh, we want to share the the benefits and the and the gifts that come, uh, particular to the worshiping assembly in prison. So in that celebration of Holy Mass, let me just you know ask you to uh, from the beginning uh, your experience and and uh, what you find and the similarities and the differences there in the prison setting. Thank you, Father Harry. I would say, first and foremost, in the Gatesville uh, proper, um, it's a city of 15,000 souls. If you look at the uh, state posted highway sign as you come into the city of, of Gatesville, we know that the city of Gatesville itself has a uh, um, population um, is probably around um, three to 5,000. And so you say, well, where's the other uh, 10,000 souls and, and their inmates? 
Um, they're inmates that live in uh, community, if you will, in six, uh, five major units plus a, a, a state jail. And that was the first thing that we were confronted with was just um, thinking about a, a city within a city. And how do you get uh, service to that population in terms of uh, liturgy? Um, and also working with an institutional staff, state staff, that, that would coordinate those times and, and, and just all those moving parts that comes with, you're one of maybe 30 some odd uh, programs that are being occupied in that space or, or building in that particular day. But so with that being said, um, in Gatesville, in, in, the, in, in the service to um, the general population community, we were up to like 11 masses a week. Um, sometimes as many as three a day and um, moving from uh, changing locations each time uh, that it would be thinking of a, a, a literally a mobile um, team in terms of everything you needed, you brought in and, and you would bring out. And also knowing that the, the, the space in which we were um, going to be um, inviting people to come into always changed each week to each time we moved as well. So anywhere from this, uh, uh, what we would call a spiritual library or a room with, with a, um, perhaps a, a desk as our altar space to uh, a full blown chapel, which actually had an altar and, uh, and one, one of the units has even had a communion rail in front of it. So I think that's the first thing that you, you, you don't really get a full, feel for, but it is consistent with, uh, if you think of a deanery or you think of the Diocese of Austin and, and all the parishes that we have here, um, they're all different. And so did the community that we serve. As you have been in this now for nine years? We'll start my ninth year in August. Starting start your ninth year in August. I know for a fact, because all the times that we spent together, we had an opportunity for you to educate me as to the history that you've experienced of bringing Eucharist in in particular to the general population, since that's that's who we're talking about in in this episode. But uh, tell me a little bit, tell our our listeners a little bit about how things have grown from the very first year, very first month that you showed up out there to begin this process of building Catholic communities, worshiping assemblies in there, and chart for us the changes over time and to how are we today, What's it, what it looks like today. Give us some historical perspective. Sure. Well, as I just mentioned, it, it, it all started with just being able to be present, you know, come into the units, not only to, to get to know that, uh, that we were going to be there on a consistent basis, uh, but also... Um, Having to d- develop a rapport with the staff, with with the officer corps, with the uh, chaplaincy, chaplains who uh, are are not of uh, they're not Catholic Christians, but but they they were embracing of us and and working with us in terms of setting up the, the scheduled time for liturgies, um, taking an assessment of what we actually had once we got into the particular unit, and then beginning to to invite the inmates uh, to um, both the male and, and female. There's probably, there's 3,000 male uh, inmates in the Gatesville proper and the balance of the 9,000 some odd females. And so allowing those communities to get to know us. I mean, that was the first part. I mean, you're, you're the new priest in town and you, you come in then to, to avail yourself as uh, 
and priestly service to this community. And, and what's unique about um, the Catholic community is uh, they all came. You know, they heard that, you know, you're, we got a priest here, we're going to celebrate Mass, he's going to hear confessions, and it was just this beautiful outpouring, you know, as they came in to um, show up for Mass. Uh, one of the ways in which um, it, they would um, attend was they had to request to be um, an attendee, and so they would formally have to do an act on their part to get permission to come and get a formal uh, pass to, to be in that chapel. But seeing them actually do the good work of, of it's a simple thing, it, it sounds like, but it's not always that easy uh, to be able to come to Mass uh, and the difficulty that they would go through to get there and then and be, to be um, filled with the one thing they long for, and that's the reception of the Holy Eucharist. So very humble beginning, very very uh, slow start, but eventually it, it came to where cl- uh, Mass attendance pre-COVID, uh, probably up around close to... Uh, 600 inmates, uh, if you looked at all the the units combined. That, that's a fairly sizable congregation in any parish today, I would say. Well, it truly is. And now let me, uh, when you b- first began, there had been a history in those units from uh, different priests. I know for a fact that priests that served Our Lady of Lords Parish in Gatesville over the, the years previous to your time of ministry, again, now going on nine years in August, um, that they had made efforts to get in there to celebrate Mass regularly, but that was one unit here, one unit there. It wasn't a broad scope where all units were being uh, planned to be covered because they just couldn't physically do it. I mean, they had a full-blown parish to take care of and actually a mission along with that, and so they could only do what they could do. And that was how we went along for quite a number of years before the diocese and you came to the understanding that God was calling you to go in there and begin to develop uh, this this ministry, and in so doing, develop the opportunity for general population and, as we'll address in, in another episode, restricted housing population, uh, to have them have a more frequent encounter with the Eucharist. So when you first got there— it was all communion services initially. It was it was communion services um, or um, no service at all. Uh, some of the units didn't didn't or had service maybe once a month, or it may have been once a quarter. It just depended on the unit. And so we we assessed that and we said, you know, what we want to do is have a presence in all the locations once a week. That that was the biggest change that they had experienced. Was that. Uh, there was going to be uh, a, a Catholic community gathered weekly, and our intentions were to, to as best we could, uh, formulate a community that would be consistent with what they would be seeing back home when they got back home. And um, so that's that's how it started. It, it started with uh, with, uh, with formation. We would do would celebrate uh, sacred mysteries, have uh, mass, and then um, in your case, Father Harry would hear confessions out in the hallway or. In, in a couple of units, they actually had chapels. You you had a um, a confessional, um, so, uh, but that that sense of consistency was the biggest change that they had in their lives. With that, they knew that, that there was going to be a priest here, and we were going to be able to celebrate mass once a week. I think that changed not only the Catholic community, but it also changed began to change the the atmosphere in the unit. That that the unit knew that there was um, uh, this weekly presence that was coming in. And um, not only does it change the unit, but it also 
from the inmates' perspective, uh, and their communications with their families. We would see and or you would hear them talk about how important it was for them to uh, go to mass, you know, as they rode home uh, to their spouses or their children. Or you know, I'm attending mass now, and you know, I've been away from sacraments for maybe a decade, but now I'm returning. Uh, please go. I can't express to you how much this has helped me in my journey in turn here. So for all of us who have had family members that in one moment or another of our family life have more or less decided that they're not going to to continue to go with the family to mass. Let's say it's when your children go off to, to school or they they're time for them to leave the house and start a, a journey of, of uh, working out in, in the world and all. And you ask them as, as they're, diligent parents trying to see to their good, you know, that are you going to mass and, and they admit to you, no mom, no dad, I'm, I'm not going anymore. And that goes on for a while and you fret about it and you talk to your priest about it and your friends and you try and figure out, you know, you do the, with St. Monica, you pray like she did for St. Augustine for, for the children to, to be restored. And then one day your son or your daughter, either because they started dating somebody who's a little more into it than them or whatever it might be says, you know, mom, I, I started going back to to, to mass again. And you as a parent have this just overwhelming joy. Well, for all of us that live outside of the prison setting, consider just how happy we get when that goes on. Now consider if you're the spouse or even the children of an incarcerated person whose life choices have put them in a situation to do a fairly uh, big disruption of the family life back home. Um, they're absent. Uh, there's a, a stigma that goes with, I've got a, a family member that's incarcerated. Maybe you don't even tell anybody about it. And you're upset with them. And you're upset about the choices that they made. And you're upset about what happened and why they're, and that they're spending time in there. And you're starting to hear from your loved one what the incarcerated life is like. And, and it's not good. And it's not happy. And they're they're trying to make their way, and you don't really know how to handle it. Then, just like the other example, one day, either in a visit when you go to see them or in a letter that they send you, they start saying, we just got Eucharist back, and I have started to go on a regular basis, when maybe they hadn't during the period that they went into their criminal activity. Just think of the impact that that has on the family members, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I, I think in general of men incarcerated and their wives finding relief. But as we know, 9,000 or so incarcerated women, I think about their children back home. Um, that, that they're looking and they're having to talk to their school friends about mom, my mom's in prison and the negativity that might surround that embarrassment, um, that kind of thing. And yet now you as, as an incarcerated woman are writing back to your children saying, I'm plugged back into the Eucharist. Uh, Jesus Christ, true, true, fully divine and fully human, is is with me just like He is with you, my daughter, my son, and that we get to share in that same body of Christ. So we may be separated by bars and 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 walls, but we're not separated by our oneness in the Eucharist. Uh, that's an amazing thing for people to get to be able to experience because. You made, as a deacon of the church and the priests that have, have followed in, in kind, the effort to represent the body of Christ, bringing the body of Christ. Well, it's the one thing that, um, that holds us all together, and that sense of um, time and time again, we'd hear the, the, um, the comments to us how, how much that, that, that hour or two hours we had together 
held them together for another week, another month, another year. Um, it just changed everything. And it also confirmed for what we already believed and, and know to be true, and that is that, that the light of Christ displaces all darkness, regardless of, of where you are, in, in, including um, in, inside a prison. And remind, that, that too, that our Lord himself was a prisoner, incarcerated, uh, held uh, in a, a, a tribunal that, that was, was and, and, and so that's always uh, something that they can connect to as well. At the sense that, that that doesn't have the last say, that this is a temporal moment in their lives, but the Eucharist is, is, is what sustains them, what gives them um, the, um, the graces to come forward and, 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 and live life, regardless if it's in a prison, uh, with the anticipation of, of moving back home, uh, and even more importantly, as they prepare to move into eternal life however that may be for them. And it's definitely something that's not lost on our incarcerated flock. They're identifying with St. Dismas. Uh, St. Dismas is a name for those of us who, who are unassociated with being in prisons and and either as volunteers or as incarcerated. Uh, the, the thief that was uh, at the side of the Lord that uh, was n- not kind to him, even to the, each of their moments of death. And yet... Um, the um, the uh, Saint Dismas actually I'm sorry I got that missed Saint Dismas is the one that was kind to him and said Lord you know uh, we deserve this um, he that then Jesus says uh, he says to Jesus this is Saint Luke chapter 23 Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and his response this day you will be with me in paradise I I don't think that that is lost on our incarcerated flock in the sacrifice of the mass, that the the many things that are meaningful to our flock there is their identity with the moment of Christ yielding his spirit, and that that, as we enter into in the Eucharistic sacrifice on the altar, is a very strong identity. And I think that's why so many chapels in in state prisons around our country are named for St. Dismas. Yeah, it's it's a very strong and, and uh, personal connection uh, for them because, it, uh, again, too, um, the events of our lives don't define who we are. Uh, it's the fact that through the waters are a baptism. We are all sons and daughters of God, and that's what brings them to uh, a new space and a new, a renewed uh, relationship with with God and and with each other. And when you see that happening in community, which is the whole purpose of being in the Eucharistic uh, uh, celebration, is the presence of each other with Christ the head. And so the body of Christ is present in that particular moment uh, as we celebrate those sacred mysteries. And we go out. We go back forth and into the units as they go back to the dorms, they go back to work that week, they go to education or whatever they may be, uh, now filled with the very source himself to be able to be present to them and to live, uh, being Christ to others as he's been to them. And it's just, it's just a beautiful relationship. You see that changing them. Um, it's beautiful to see that, particularly as we, we set up uh, as best we could the uh, celebration of the Mass uh, as, as close as it could be in any parish. So we have lectors, we, had, we have servers, we have, uh, we have musicians, we have, we have uh, choristers. We have everything as close as possible as it, as it would be uh, back home. Uh, and there's that sense of being home, 
And it's really unique to see that, to say that, you know, I haven't felt this way in years. I mean, I haven't, maybe I haven't gone to, I haven't been in mass maybe in, in, since I was in, in, in middle school or, or junior high, whatever it was for them. And now they're, they're back home and it is back home. It is, it's a place where they feel comfortable uh, and they're able to um, remind themselves that who, who they truly are. And that's one of those, and you mentioned it just a little bit ago, one of those phrases that we heard universally, every single unit, female or male, this is one of the few times I feel like I'm normal. And I think it's because they know that they're sharing in a sameness of practice and of experience with those on the outside, which is a place they long to be. So they, in a way, get to share in being outside the prison, even though they're still incarcerated. But the other piece to that is, and you and me saw this from the altar over and over again, and when we did uh, open uh, um, prayers of the faithful, that they, like us on the outside of prison, are bringing the things of their lives to the worshiping assembly. They're bringing those in sacrifice to the altar. They're bringing those to be touched by the Word of God in the liturgy of the Word. And just like all of us, when we go to Mass and we look around and we see this person or that that we know or that we don't know, uh, you, you can read people's body language in Mass. You can see people who are more downtrodden on any given Sunday or Saturday whenever you attend than others. You can see people who are at peace. You can see people who are distracted. All of the same is brought to the Eucharistic Assembly in the prisons as well. But it's unique to the community life that they're living in addition to the outside life that they're connected to in their families and in the circumstances of their lives. So just like a lot of us bring the things of our family life plus work, uh, the things of our family life plus school, uh, whatever it might be, to our our masses on the weekends in a regular parish, that's what these folks bring into the, the assembly from the prison setting as well. And it's one of the things that I found as a priest of Jesus Christ to be uh, quite gratifying to be able to get to allow them that grace in the the manner of the church and the rites of the church, being in persona Christe as a priest, that they get that availability for their community life marked by a very distinctive reality of it's an incarcerated community compared to a, a rural community, a suburban community, a whatever kind of community it might be on the outside world. They get to bring all of their their lived experience into that sacrifice of the Mass just like the rest of us, and, and it allows the Eucharistic Lord to have his presence and his effect in exactly the same way as it does for people on the outside. And exactly the same way is not something they get to experience very much in prison compared to life on the outside. That's so well put. It's not, uh, again, it they've been stripped of everything, if you will, in terms of um, worldly possessions and goods when they come in. Um, but it is the one thing that 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 they're able to connect with, and and in its purest way. I mean, there's there is no um, conflicting interest at that moment in their lives to be able to come and, and be present and participate in, in the um, those sacred mysteries. The thing that I'll mention is at the, at the men's unit, the Hughes unit. Um, one of the things they do at the offertory is they uh, they bring their uh, things that they can purchase through commissary through the store, if you will. Uh, to to make a contribution to the to the indigent distribution that the chapel runs and and this is a probably about a an eighteen inch by 
uh, 12-inch basket, and it's probably, I don't know, eight or nine inches deep. It's filled uh, with uh, soap and um, toothpaste. And and we've had uh, recently added, the men have a, a blank sheet, of, a strip of paper where they write their prayer intentions on it, and they put that in the basket as well. So whatever it is that, that's going on in their lives, in, in addition to the intercessory prayer, there's special intentions that they write out that comes to the altar. It's placed on the altar of sacrifice, and it's brought to the uh, at that particular unit. We have the Blessed Sacrament, and 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 it's he's Lord's reposed in that unit, and those prayers stay with him in that in that in that unit sacrament room. Um, so it's it's just another reminder that you know we're we're it's it's a it's a beautiful witness to their faith. And their belief that, you know, this doesn't have the last say in my life. In addition to the uh, gathering for Eucharist as an act of, of worship and thanksgiving in, in the Mass, the other area where the general population experiences uh, the reality of the Eucharist is in catechesis. Uh, we do adult faith formation there, and I think a lot of our listeners who don't have family members or are not volunteers, and which is going to be the lion's share, um, would probably be edified to know that uh, an aspect of what your work continues to be and that of other volunteers is not only the act of worship, but the act of increasing in a sense of knowledge of the mind but also of the deeper realities of the Church's teachings on Holy Eucharist. And so maybe speak a little bit to what are the ways in which we catechize towards a deeper sense of, of appreciation of the Eucharist in the, in the Mass? Sure. Thank you for that question, because that's a, a key component of what we do in this two-hour block, if you will, is setting aside an hour outside of worship, uh, that we are um, continually in formation. So uh, we're studying uh, the um, we look at the Mass and how it's ordered, uh, and we look how God revealed himself to us. You know, if we look at through the divine revelation that, you know, God the Father shows up, and then there's God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit, and all that's brought together in, 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 their, in their formal studies. Uh, and and that's, that's a year-round process, uh, whether it be— uh, uh, and um, and it really ties back. Everything goes back to the celebration of the most uh, of the Holy Eucharist. So it's it, now it begins to make some sense of, of sense to them. There's some order to what we're doing. Um, you can see that particularly when we do uh, scripture studies. Uh, we look at um, the, the the books of the Old Testament and then taking us to the New Testament of salvation history. And then when you see them reading those texts, uh, their lectors, their servants' lectors, and their whole faces light up because they've studied that for the last six months. They get it. They know where that's coming from. They can tell you where that text is found. And that's just that's a bit of them availing themselves to something deeper than just an hour a week. They, they're, they're doing that during the week, and they're doing it especially when they're kind of gathered together in the Eucharist. Now, there are times when general population people cannot leave their dormitory areas in the ordinary fashion of having the right, uh, there are certain freedoms of movement that are regulated. Um, there's reasons for that that are part of how the institution keeps itself up and running. Um, you oftentimes take communion to them as well. So maybe a little bit about what it's like to take communion when they can't come to Mass uh, for short periods of time and you bring the, the Eucharist to them in their dormitories. 
Yeah, for me as as a deacon and, and ordained in the service of Christ, a servant, to, to be able to bring the Lord to them and just the joy of seeing their faces that he he's he has arrived now. He's on the scene. Um, I'm in a room with maybe 180 men. Um, obviously, they're not all Catholic, but the Catholic population will swarm to you, and we have a small uh, uh, rite of communion and and at a still table, and where they are able to see see the Lord and, and be nourished by His presence and feel feel renewed and and that's just a a very humbling experience for me personally, but it's, it's a great joy to see that. And they they again, these there are times where uh, all movement's been stopped for whatever reason. If it's if it's a um, semi-annual lockdown, or if there's been an incident on the unit where they can't come out, um, we go to them. And, and, and I always said, you know, the Lord finds us. We, we just have to be still and wait for him to get there. Well, it's a great privilege to get to be bearers of the Eucharist, both in our persons, but in the rites of the church as well, and the body and blood of Christ. And in our next uh, episode that we'll address, we'll speak about the Eucharist as the ministry is brought to them in what is known as restricted housing. And for all who are listening in those areas or in the dormitory areas, we ask the Lord to continue to bless and keep you to bless all of our listeners as they hear us, and to draw us all closer to the love of the Lord in the Holy Eucharist. Brother, if you walk with me, brother, 